Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor. We got Krishna here producing, and we are talking to Justin Rowan. Huge trade went down. Donovan Mitchell goes to the Cavs, sends back Laurie Marketin, Colin Sexton. Three first-round picks and two pick swaps. Uh, Justin is the host of the Chase Down Pod, and he is our Cavs uh inside follower here on this trade justin uh huge trade what what are your initial reactions to it well holy smokes it was pretty high on the list um i I was not (laughs) expecting this to happen i actually thought like given the Cavs' relationship with utah they've done multiple deals with utah over the last couple years uh it seems like every single promising guard uh goes from utah to cleveland at some point whether it's dante axum alec burtz rodney hood and now donovan mitchell um i thought the Cavs might get into this deal as a third team i i thought that there was a, a very real possibility that uh, they used that to clear up a roster spot and maybe some cap space be- below the luxury tax to to bring back Colin Sexton. I wasn't expecting a big move, but obviously they went a completely different direction and ended up having, I, I guess, what was the top bid uh, to land Donovan Mitchell. So uh, it-, it was definitely a massive surprise, but this is something that really kind of changes the timeline uh, when it comes to this young core. Yeah, they they have a ton of young guys. Um, they have Garland, who really broke out last year at point guard. They have uh, Jared Allen, who had a really really great year as well last year at center. Obviously, they draft Evan Mobley and that that young core of three guys that really had some nice pieces around them, some good good performances. Uh, all of a sudden, yeah, just they get vaulted. And <laughs> I, I think I did a podcast maybe I don't know like six months ago on teams playoff windows and i was like i really like this team a lot but i don't think like their window they haven't even walked over and tried to open it yet (laughs) (laughs) uh and now with donovan mitchell all of a sudden it's like because especially they made that trade for karis levert because obviously colin sexton goes down last year with a knee injury and they needed more offensive punch and they traded for levert and he didn't he didn't play particularly well when he got traded over there ricky rubio went down with the injury and then the offense I mean, they had a ton of injuries, but the offense did become a bit of a struggle. And then, boom, you bring in Donovan Mitchell, one of the top offensive players in the league. And, I mean, this seems like this is a 2K trade. That's how good it seems to me. (laughs) It it really is exciting. Um, You you mentioned bringing in Karis LeVert. I I think what they were trying to do last year with LeVert was split the difference. Um, not as good of a scorer as Colin Sexton and not as good of a playmaker as Ricky Rubio, but was able to maybe bring both of those to the table. But the unfortunate thing was after the all-star break, uh, Jared Allen uh, and Karis LeVert never play a game together, in, or at least not until the play-in game against Atlanta. And Karis LeVert, like he's, I, I would say his primary strength is as a pick-and-roll ball handler, and Evan Mobley's screen setting wasn't at that point, and there just wasn't anybody to run the pick-and-roll with. Uh, you add that along with the foot injury that he suffered, and he just wasn't as impactful. But um, I'm I'm kind of interested in how this Mitchell trade balances out the roster because it's a little more conventional now. I would assume Karis LeVert now gets moved into that six-man role, which I, I think he's well-suited to do. Uh, you have some good depth still after this consolidation trade. So um, there's there's still some X factors, but it's just interesting to go from where the Cavs were prior to this move, which was we have this core three and we're really looking to see if someone steps up and is that fourth guy, whether it's Sexton or Coro, uh, Larry Markinen, Lavert, or, or whoever that may be, uh, or Ochai Abaji, I guess, at that point as well. 
Um, and now the, the calculus is different because now probably one of Evan Mobley or Jared Allen is their fourth best player going into next year. And now you're trying to figure out who that fifth is going to be, which uh, is there's a lot less pressure on that role. Uh, and, and there's some good candidates for it. But it, it's definitely uh, from a fan perspective and for someone that wants to see this team do well, it, it really does raise the the floor on this team and ceiling. Yeah. Uh, uh. Oh, go ahead, Krishna. Yeah, no, I was I was just gonna say it's it's they really have like a, a really good big four now, almost like four possible all star level players, but like that question as to who the fifth guy is is a big one. And mm-hmm. to me, it's kind of interesting that like like so many teams are kind of loading up on wings and you know, we hear all the time about how wings are vital to winning a championship. And here you have the Cavs going kind of in a different direction where like they have two maybe the best backcourt in the league, like two premier guards and two excellent bigs. And and you're kind of just wondering, well, so who is, do they need a, you know, they probably need a three and D wing, but like, mm-hmm. so who is, who is that going to be? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a great question. I, I think going into this year, uh, I would pencil in Isaac Okoro. I, I know they, they've been pretty happy with, with the offseason that he's having. And I, I think when I, I look at Okoro play, uh, and especially in his rookie year where he was playing primarily at the small forward position, he's someone that does a really good job staying in front of guys and contesting shots. But when it comes to defending bigger wings, especially the fact that he he's only 6'6", when you see smaller defenders have success on big wings it's because they're actually really getting up into their space and stopping them from getting to their spots and disrupting the rhythm whereas Okoro I think he was so focused on just staying in front of guys and then contesting the shot and that's just not going to work when you get to the Jason Tatums and some of the larger wings that the Cavs are going to face so uh, I would give Okoro the nod and I'm interested to see how much growth he has think it's easy to forget that he's only like a couple months older than Evan Mobley and, and is already such a good defender. Uh, the biggest thing for him is can he get his offense to the point where defenses have to respect it? Cause the percentages were good. Like you look after December and he was shooting over 50% from the floor over 39% from three. It was just on such low volume. And, and I think from an analysis standpoint, it's easier to kind of scale up the volume versus add a skill that someone hasn't shown at all before, but it's still going to be a learning curve there. Uh, I I think having a little more spacing with Garland and Mitchell, I I mean, you can almost count on 23 point attempts per game between those two. I think that's going to help someone that that's intelligent and and cuts well off ball and and has a good feel for the game, but there's other options as well. I mean, Dean Wade, uh, is someone that uh, the Cavs kind of stole uh, as an undrafted player and, and developed. And every time he filled in uh, for Lowry Markin in, in the past or or even the years prior, those lineups all really work. Uh, Garland, Okoro, Wade, Mobley, and Allen had like a plus 22 net rating in, in o- over 100 minutes last year together. So I think he could be a potential option that kind of keeps the same feel that they had with Lowry Markkinen. Uh, and, and then there's other ones like Jetty Osman, uh, who I, I wouldn't count on uh, getting the, the three slot, but I, I or, or even Karis LeVert. But I, I think there's some redundancies with the ball handling. So there's a there's a few options there. But right now, I, I would probably pencil in Okoro. You, you mentioned Okoro is kind of good at defending like, like kind of smaller guys. Do you think Mobley could kind of take on the role of like a wing stopper almost? 
I think to some extent, um, my preference with Mobley, and this was true even going back to the draft, like I, I like having a traditional center with him that that kind of takes care of the rim protecting duties so that he can kind of roam and play that dream on like role. Uh, of course, he's going to play some backup center. I think asking him to consistently go on the perimeter and defend those wings is probably a bit much. Like I, I want to make sure that you are keeping him as fresh as possible and, and that uh, he's put in positions to maximize what he can be on the defensive end of the floor. Um, but I, I could certainly see it in, in some matchups, um, d- depending who the other teams are using. Um, but for the, for the most part, I, I would assume that it would be Okoro or, like I said, I, I think Dean Wade is, is a really interesting option as well. And I, I think this trade kind of opens up a path for him getting back in the rotation because, uh, he, he's just been such a reliable presence for them, uh, that considering what you're going to need from a fifth player alongside Garland, Mitchell, Mobley, and Allen, you don't really need a lot. So I, I can see from a roster balancing standpoint that he could get some looks there. Uh, LeBron, our overall uh, impact metric, loves Dean Wade. I think he had the uh, his D LeBron, which is just the defensive side of it. I think he had the second highest D LeBron out of any wing stopper last year. So <laughs> the metrics really like him a lot. Uh, that was something that really popped out to me when uh, doing notes for this episode. Uh, kind of an interesting change. We've talked about it some, but just like from a, a larger standpoint, last year they were going in as maybe having the largest in terms of like starting lineup. They had like three guys, like 6'10", 6'11", 7' foot in their starting lineup, Laurie Markkinen at the three, and now they trade for Donovan Mitchell, and it almost seems like they switched to being maybe one of the smaller teams in the league, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I can remember a team going like yo-yoing from the biggest to maybe the smallest in one offseason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You you look at last year, and, and I guess uh, you could say Garland and Sexton were the starting backcourt at that point. So uh, you have the, the same size going from Garland to Mitchell, but the big difference, of course, is uh, losing that third seven-footer in Lowry Merkin. And, um, it's... It definitely is going to be a, a little smaller as a result of that. I, I don't think you can go all the way to smallest just because you still do have those two seven footers out there. And I guess if Dean Wade at six nine is that small forward, you're probably okay. Uh, especially if you can uh, compare it to a team like Toronto, for example, where Fred Van Vliet is maybe six feet on on a good day, and no one else is above six nine for the most part. Um, that's uh, it, it's a little bit of a different size equation, but I, I do think looking at the rest of the depth they have, like Rubio's a, a nice big backup point guard. Karis Levert's got some size. Jetty, uh, Wade, as we mentioned, uh, Robin Lopez, Kevin Love. Like the, there's enough size around Mitchell and Garland that I, I think it can work. Um, like I, I was a believer that Garland and Sexton could work and that, you know, you'd obviously have to stagger a fair bit. And they're probably going to do the same thing with Mitchell. Um, I I can't foresee a lot of situations where you wouldn't want to have one of Garland or Mitchell on the court. Um, But it's definitely going to be interesting. And I I think a lot of how effective the lineup is going to be is, does Donovan Mitchell start providing more effort on the defensive end? Because he has shown at times that he can be at least a a break-even or somewhat impactful defender. Um, so if he can at least play well and give effort within the defensive structure of the Cavs, I think it can work. I think one of the more interesting things is how he's going to fit next to Garland offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Garland's been the lead ball handler there. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, a very high usage rating. How do you see those two guys 
kind of coexisting together and you know it doesn't always have to be who's going to take the shot at the end of the game i think you know that can be worked out throughout the season but just how, how do you envision that kind of coming together yeah i do think last season actually helped lay some groundwork because some of the Cavs most effective lineups were playing garland alongside ricky rubio where where ricky would handle uh, a lot of the ball handling and garland really showed a lot off ball um, I, I think they, they wanted to get him some easy looks off ball and, and to generate those opportunities. And obviously Mitchell has some experience playing with a point guard uh, in Mike Conley and Ricky Rubio back in the day as well. Um, so I, I do think when you have two guys that are such talented uh, ball handlers, um, it can generate some opportunities for the other one off ball. Um, I, I know Mitchell has made some real strides as a playmaker. I, I know his metrics on, on B-Ball Index are, are very good as well uh, when it comes to playmaking. So I'm I'm optimistic that it's going to be a pretty easy fit offensively. I, I think it's an easier pairing uh, than something like DeJounte and Trey Young, where Trey doesn't really have those reps and that experience playing off ball. And with both Garland and Mitchell being such uh, talented shooters as well, I think that that makes the the pairing pretty, pretty seamless. Um, But there is still going to be an adjustment period, right? Like it's inevitable. These are are still humans learning to play together for the first time. Uh, You're, you're going to have a little bit of maybe watching at at times, trying to figure out uh, what the hierarchy is going to be. But when you look at how unselfish Darius Garland is and how talented he is as a passer, like the pass, like the, the quality of shots that he was generating last year, with the lack of spacing that they had playing two um, kind of traditional big men that, that don't really have an outside game. I, I just think that as the spacing continues to improve uh, as the players in, in that equation, all individually improve as well. And now adding Donovan Mitchell to the mix, I think it, it's got real, real potential for this to work out on the offensive end of the court. So let's look at the other side of the trade. Uh, the jazz acquire some players. They get some picks. Uh, let's start with Colin Sexton. Obviously, didn't play a lot last year because of an injury. He signs a four-year, seventy-two million dollar deal. That's eighteen million uh, on average, and he's going over to the Jazz. Uh, what what's something the Jazz can expect from Colin going forward? I mean, if he's healthy and he's himself again, I, I think that they're going to be really happy with Colin Sexton. Uh, one of the things that we had talked about on the Chase Down prior to this trade was. Colin Sexton's outputs, even though he comes about it in different ways than Mitchell, they're very similar to, to Mitchell in years past. And we were always discussing if Sexton can give you 85% of what Mitchell gives, is it really worth giving up all the picks and extra assets to, to make the upgrade? And I, I think one of the things that we saw in the past, uh, and, and this came up last year, last summer with Jared Allen discussions is, yeah, you might be able to get similar production for uh, a fraction of the cost and you can get like 85%, but that extra 15% really, really matters. And I, I think the differences between Mitchell and Sexton, um, it matters a lot for the Cavs to get kind of that playmaking and that volume three-point shooting and all the questions that that really would take that fit to the next level. But Sexton's such a hard worker. Um, I, I think his passing is a little bit undervalued. I think the Jazz are actually going to have a lot better spacing than he's had basically at any point with the Cavs. Uh, so that's going to be really helpful, uh, whether it's Beasley or Ochai Larry Markkinen. Uh, he, he's going to have some room to work. So if he's healthy, I, I think you're going to see him get back to that kind of 24 and four at, at 
uh, league average or slightly above league average efficiency. And he, he's going to be a guy that's going to work and he's probably going to outperform that contract uh, by by a considerable margin. And that's going to give Utah the, the option to either decide if they want him to be part of the core moving forward or flip him for more assets, which seems to be the Danny Ainge way. Yeah, he's also a guy um, like the metrics. Uh, they're they're good they're not he's not blown the doors off it right yeah. analytically but when you watch him on tape oh, i just did a little bit a few weeks ago and there are definitely times where you get very excited like some of the things are really impressive and it just kind of makes you think like oh one i'm concerned about the knee right because so much of what he did was uh, like very flashy mm-hmm. and if you can't move as well it's like i don't know but then the flip side of it is the, the potential where it's like he's going to a team that there's not going to be much set in stone right uh so the the usage is there if he performs like you said there's going to be better spacing there and there's going to be a few years of just hey let's throw things at the wall let's see what sticks and he could end up being their best player like the, there's a there's a lot of different uh, outcomes that can happen and like you said the contract it's similar uh, I looked up some other contracts Norman Powell Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, offensive players that are pretty good I think if I was going to pick from the three I definitely would pick Sexton because mm. like what that upside just it seems to really be there on tape um, and I think that will be an interesting you know I don't love it because THT just went there and I do love THT and I wanted to see what happens when you had a, a usage rate of 45 with THT but uh, I think it would maybe make more sense for Colin Sexton to have the ball <laughs> more yeah but I, I think at this point he, he's probably safely a better player than THT um, I, I think even looking at like the Ann Simons contract like I, I would much rather have Sexton on, on this kind of money and in yeah. value and I, I I think there's a lot of upside there. Uh, the interesting thing is Sexton improved quite a bit defensively in the brief 11 games that he had this season. And I'm kind of curious to see if Utah does get kind of another ball handler with him to allow him to be that play finisher, the, the guy that plays off ball and kind of rounds out his game, uh, which he was looking to do with the Cavs. Because if he's back in that role where he has to create everything for himself and others, um, it's just hard to ask someone to do that while also contributing on the defensive end. So I'm curious to see how Utah builds around him and whether they do want him to to play off ball as he has been the last couple of years. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting because so there's two things. There. Like he has been pri- I like not not counting this previous season where he just played a little bit. He has been pretty bad yeah. Uh, defensively. Yeah. Um, but also one thing to take into account, like young players, basically like guys in their first and second year are almost always bad to what degree your bad does matter. Yeah. <laughs> but I just I like to throw that caveat in just because when you you look at enough rookies numbers, you're like, oh, I guess most of these. No, there's not. A, that's why, like when there's a guy that's that's good defensively, like Herb Jones this year or or even Evan Mobley put up huge defensive numbers. It's like, whoa, <laughs> because it just just doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. Um, next, uh Lori Marketing, he's currently just absolutely tearing it up and I don't know, some sort of Euro Cup is going <laughs> on right now. Um, I, I don't know what it is. It's just clips that uh, periodically come up on Twitter. Um, but he's only or Sexton's not old either. Uh, Lori Marketing has been traded twice in the last two years. He's only going to be 25. Um, he's a really intriguing player. He had an A plus in our uh, stable points per possession on post ups, same A plus in transition last year. Uh, his his size made him an above average defender as a wing, and he's a guy that 
I mean, he's a bag of tools. He's almost like he's sort of kind of like Josh Allen, the quarterback <laughs> of the Bills, like coming out of college. We were like, so this guy's just a whole sack of tools. Uh, like, what can we turn this into as a player? Uh, talk a little bit about him. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with Lowry uh, last year. And I think Utah has a very promising young player with him. Um, the, the post-up stats, I, I think is something that people don't necessarily realize because you look at the possessions where he posts up from like 15 feet out and he doesn't really have the lower body strength and doesn't really take advantage of his size in those situations. But when it comes to him kind of like cutting back door and just quick little flares out, uh, to establish position, uh, if he gets the, the ball with position, he finishes really well on that. Um, the cutting stats weren't great last year, but they were really good for the rest of his career. And I, I kind of expect with him now probably transitioning back to playing the power forward position rather than small forward with the Cavs with uh, two more traditional bigs. Um, I, I think it's going to open up kind of those cutting opportunities for Lowry to, to get those off ball uh, chances. He, he's got a good sense of finding those passing lanes when he's playing off ball. So um, I, I think that he's somebody that carries a lot of gravity with him on the court. Uh, you, you can run those actions uh, and um, really draw the attention of the defense. So I, I think Utah did really well adding Lowry Market into this trade. I, I, I really think that Utah is actually well positioned to have a relatively quick turnaround, uh, assuming that they, they get some luck in the draft. They've got a lot of promising young players and a lot of picks and a lot of ways that this can go well for them. So I, I think when you're rebuilding, it's about giving yourself as many swings as possible, uh, as many opportunities and, and outs uh, to to be successful. And Lowry's, Lowry Markkinen's a, a guy that can either do that or, or net them something meaningful uh, as they continue to look at ways to build this team back up. So... Uh... Lowry's uh, D LeBron is actually uh, it's 0.45, which I think might be kind of surprising to most, like being a positive player on that end, yeah. positive impact player on defense. So, what are your thoughts on his defense? Like, um, yeah, I I do think a decent portion of that might be attributed to having Mobley and Allen behind him because he was really kind of just asked to stay in position, be long on the perimeter. He moved his feet really well and he competed well. Um, but when Lowry was out there without both of them, whether when he was out there with just Mobley or just Allen, the defense did have quite a meaningful drop off. Like there, there was a lot of times where uh, he would forget to tag up. He, he'd kind of get lost in space and uh, the Cavs defense wasn't really able to survive those minutes. Now, some of that may be attributed to the fact that Mobley and Allen were covering up for a lot. Like there, there wasn't a lot of perimeter defense, especially at uh, the the point where Lowry was playing more for, which was when uh, Ricky Rubio was already out and even Okoro missed some time. Um, so I, I think the compete level is really high from Lowry and he he's someone that um, really embraced the role that they're asking him to play. But I do think you need to have some defensive structure in order for that defensive effort to be meaningful. So whether that's having more guys kind of around him on the perimeter and, and some rim protection on the inside, uh, and, and limiting what you're asking him to do. If you keep it simple uh, with the defensive assignments, I, I think that he has the effort and length to to live up to what you're asking of him. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I I feel like at a certain part, I know that the length does help a lot, but I almost feel bad sometimes when we got like six, ten, seven foot guys out on the perimeter. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, okay, like uh, let's try. It's hard to hard to match steps with someone that's six <laughs> six. It, it's a big ask. It's a big ask, and it was really helpful uh, to have Mobley or Allen capable of rotating over in those situations, right? Like if Lowry's just kind of all right, I'm going to force some baseline. The help's going to come, and then I'm going to rotate uh, up. Uh, to the top of the the three point line, like that that just worked really really well, and, and he worked, uh, he he did a terrific job making it work within the cast system, especially considering it's not like his off season training was to play the small forward position. That was something that uh, really only emerged in preseason and and wasn't the the game plan even when they were signing him. I think that makes sense. You talk about utilizing the length where it's like, all right, you can play more of like a, like a little bit more maybe of a funneling style where you're like, all right, I'm seven foot. I got two other guys that are around seven foot. If we just sort of push you into a corner and we all put our hands up, like this is probably going to go pretty well. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about the draft compensation. Uh, how do you feel about three first round picks going over uh, and then the two pick swaps, uh, all that heading from the Cavs to the Jazz? I mean, you feel better about it given the the amount of team control over you have over the core. Um, Garland, Mobley, and Allen are probably going to be here for a long time. Um, it does like it, it. It makes you a little bit uneasy, uh, especially when you are giving up uh, players that I, I felt pretty high on. Um, but the one thing that does make me feel a little bit better is the Cavs actually opened up a, a decent amount of cap space with this trade. They, they're going to have uh, about twenty million uh, next summer to maybe add to the wing, and uh, you, you still have good depth around them. So I feel pretty okay with it. It seems like these kind of trades are, are now just standard where, where you give up all, all your picks uh, for the foreseeable <laughs> future. So I, I guess that's the cost of doing business. And especially when you look at the teams that were rumored to be interested, uh, it was all Eastern conference teams, right? Like whether it's the New York Knicks, the Toronto Raptors were rumored for at one point, Miami heat, Washington wizards. So um, I, I do think when you, you have a market like that, you're, you're going to pay a bit of a premium, but uh, to put four all-star caliber players together for that are all young, that that all kind of are on the same timeline. Um, it, I, I definitely understand how this type of move was viewed as worthwhile by the organization. Uh, Justin, can I get uh, in closing a letter grade for the trade, and then Krishna, I, I want your uh, I want your take on this too before we get out of here. I'm going to go B plus, just just because I, I think it's obviously a massive addition for the Cavs, but it's not like it, it was some sort of robbery, right? Like I, I think they gave up real value here. And, and I, I think that this has the potential to be a win-win trade for both teams. And uh, I think Utah did very well with it. So I, I'm going to go B plus because it's super exciting when you, when you get the best player in the, the trade. Uh, like I said, going to the point where you're trying to figure out who the fourth guy is going to be to, oh, our fourth guy is going to be pretty awesome because it's going to probably be uh, Evan Mobley or Jared Allen uh, unless uh, development happens in, in an unforeseen way <laughs> um, with, with those guys. But, uh, yeah, I'm 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 pretty excited to have Donovan Mitchell in the mix. Krishna, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with an A-, minus. I guess. I mean, I, I really like the trade because – it's nice to see a team kind of go for it and um, and just having that, you know, kind of those four all-star caliber player, potential all-star caliber players um, together. And um, I think it's going to really kind of raise their ceiling. And I think, you know, I, I think we're probably going to expect they should be in the top six now. I don't know. What are your expectations, Justin? 
Yeah, I, I think floor should be avoiding the play-in tournament. Um, Eastern Conference is really impressive. There's a lot of depth there, and it's going to come down to kind of health, how you navigate injuries, how many uh, should win games you, you drop versus uh, actually taking care of business. So, yeah, I, I think baseline expectations should be avoiding the play-in. I'm going to go with an A grade because the way I see it is this was a very good young team, right? You watch them last year. They were great defensively. Uh, after Rubio went down, it it, it was sparse on offense uh, when Garland uh, didn't have the ball in his hands. So I think Donovan Mitchell makes a whole lot of sense to, to upgrade the offense. And then it's it's one of those things where it doesn't have to work this year, right? Like they can figure out a lot of things. They can make a playoff run. Like this is where it's like, hey, if you make the Eastern Conference finals next year, I think that's probably a win, right? Yeah. And you kind of got to lay the groundwork to maybe after that in year two or three, you get to the finals, you make a finals appearance. Maybe you win one where it's there's a runway here. There's there's a three year window and uh, I think, like, I'm going to be watching them a lot next year. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, all right, Justin, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for breaking down this trade. Uh, again, he's the host of the Chase Down Pod. Check that out. Uh, Justin, what's your Twitter handle? It's at Kazanada. So take a cannon and slap the Kaz in the start and you'll find me there. And I apologize for everything you, you find after that point. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh my name is taylor krishna producing and we'll see you on the next episode of the basketball index podcast